you are an entrepreneur, a professional, a speaker, or a coach, and although you've come a long way, it's time for you to take it to the next level. We've got you. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. We'll help you use authority and influencer marketing to build your business stronger and faster by publishing a book. You'll hear from guests that are thought leaders in sales, marketing, networking, communication, social media, promotion, and business leadership. Let's do it. This is the Author to Authority Podcast. And now your host, the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder. Welcome to the Author to Authority podcast. And today it is a thrill to have Steve Anderson on the show. And Steve is an expert in strategic risk and business growth. He's drawing on decades of experience in the insurance industry. He wrote the Bezos Letters, 14 Principles to Grow Your Business Like Amazon, which has become a Wall Street Journal, US Day Today, and international bestseller. And with hundreds of thousands of followers, Steve has been handpicked by LinkedIn as one of the world's most influential thought leaders. So I am so excited to have you on the show, Steve, because I know you've got some amazing things that you want to teach us. Oh, well, I'm certainly going to try, Kim. Thanks so much for having me. So Steve, this is your first time on the Author to Authority podcast. So I'd love for you to just take a few minutes and just share a bit of your story with us so we can get to know you. I'd be happy to. So as you mentioned, I've been in the insurance industry virtually my entire career, early on selling insurance to mostly businesses. And then the last 25 years working with insurance agents in the U.S. on technology, kind of hooked into the technology stuff. And so I've researched writing, speaking and consulting on what's coming and maybe more importantly, how to maximize the technology they're already using. And again, over 25 years, you can imagine lots of things has changed. Some things we used to consider you know, new and fun and all of that is kind of mundane now, but uh, it's still part of what I do. And, and that really led me to start thinking about the book. And my first part of the question was, insurance agencies, now it's broader to businesses in general, mm -hmm. is the biggest risk they face actually not taking enough risk? That question started the journey of research and writing and exploring and, and trying to figure out what the answer to that question was. Hmm. You know what, you, you've got me thinking there, because I think as an entrepreneur, one of the one of the qualities, I would say, of an entrepreneur is that you have to be willing to take risk. I would agree. And too often, they're either taking the wrong risks or not mm -hmm. understanding how to mitigate the risks that they naturally face, certainly if they're starting something new, right? Even, mm -hmm. even an existing business who maybe have a, has a new product or new service or new platform, how do they develop that. So lots of companies, many names we know well now, were once very successful and are no longer here. They're gone. 
I started wondering, okay, what's the difference between those companies and a company like Amazon, mm -hmm. which again, started like everybody else, right? Jeff Bezos was on his hands and knees, putting books and packages and taking them to the post office. But what has made them able to continue to be successful where other companies haven't? I came across the shareholder letters that Jeff Bezos started writing in 1997 and really did a pretty deep analysis of the letters and principles that I discovered in those letters letters became kind of the foundation for what I talk about in the book. So what I would love to know, Steve, is you talked about risks. What were some of the risks that you have taken over the years and maybe some that have worked out and maybe one that didn't? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's actually a great question because, you know, even as an employee, we all take risks. And so I would say early on, I started or got into the insurance business working for my father-in-law and his insurance agency. And I worked there 13 years, long time, family owned, married his daughter, you know, all, all of that <laughs> and ended up deciding to leave. And that was really risky, right? Because it was comfortable where I was, but it wasn't allowing me to grow into the ways that I wanted to. And so yeah. I frankly wasn't sure what I would do. And so that became very risky and kind of through the nineties, you know, the failure part, that's kind of a key idea here is there is this, this connection between risk-taking and growth. Mm -hmm. And so literally experimented with a lot of different things still in the insurance industry, but not everything was really successful. Started kind of selling insurance on my own. And frankly, I wasn't that good at it. <laughs> you know, then I gravitated toward the technology, which frankly, I became pretty good at. And then all of the time and, and frustration and pain of trying to build a consulting business, which I started doing in 1990, well, really 1999, when I went out on my own, speaking, writing, consulting, you know, for agencies. So that was kind of another risk step. Uh, again, hard early years as I was building and getting name recognition and, and those kinds yeah. of things. And so there is this interesting dynamic between risk-taking and growth. Part of the way I phrase it is understanding how to protect the downside of risk, right? So you don't want to just do stupid stuff, but you want to be able to do smart risk. And, and I think that's where Bezos has a lot to say about how he used that concept in growing mm -hmm. Amazon. The other one that comes to mind is writing a book. I mean, how crazy <laughs> is that, right? What do I know about writing a book? And again, it's risky that I invested hours and hours, as you, as you well know, you know, writing a book is hard, uh, at least for me. And writing's not a stranger to me. I've written articles, probably thousands of articles over the years, but there's a big difference between writing a thousand or 1500 word article and what ended up to be a 63,000 word book. So <laughs> yes. what was that time worth it? Well, you know, as you mentioned, the book has gotten some success. And in fact, we just got, and this is, so the book was published in the fall of 19. We all know what happened in the spring of 20, uh, kind of the world shut down. So that changed stuff. But literally uh, two weeks ago, we got another offer from a uh, publisher in France to translate the book into French. And three, nice. three years later, and, and that's 
the 19th language that the book's been translated into. So looking back now, it was like, that was a great risk to take. In the middle of it, in the beginning of it, it was like, oh, is this just crazy? How can I do this? <laughs> oh, so I only have one question for you. <laughs> How did your wife feel about all of this risk-taking? Well, if you notice on the cover of the book, she is actually a co-author. So she was intimately involved. She's been in the publishing business. So that's kind of what I said. It wasn't a risk publishing because I sort of had an inside track. And... She is a fabulous editor, fabulous book strategist. And so we really work together. My ideas and her her words, basically. We kept going back and forth and she kept saying to me, this is your book, what do you want to say? And then she would help craft it to make it fun and interesting and all of those kinds of things. And, and I will tell you, Kim, the question normally in that arena is, are you still married? <laughs> And we are. Uh, we're, we're actually uh, this summer celebrating 48 years of uh, being together. But congratulations! Um, it, it, there were some hard times uh, during that process, and uh, we did make it through the other side. I was more talking about in the earlier years. You know, when you went to your wife and said, uh, "Hey, dear, oh. I'm, I'm thinking of leaving your dad's insurance company." And <laughs> oh, yes, that definitely. So, yeah, absolutely. And I have to say, you know, part of maybe the reason we're we're still together, but is, you know, she really has supported me over the years. And even though, I mean, she loved her dad and I was miserable, she knew that. So, you know, just those family dynamics, you know, it was hard. There was no question. It was hard to leave, hard to all of that stuff, you know, that kind of goes on, goes with the package. And, you know, she's been behind me and supporting me and, you know, you can do this. And so it that's, I, I'm not sure I probably could have done it without that, that kind of support. That is awesome. We're going to switch gears here because I want to give you lots of time to talk about what you came here to talk about today. And that wonderful book you wrote about just that gold mine of information you got from those shareholders letters. So I'm, I want to give you lots of time to just share about that. I may interrupt you with the occasional question, but I'm going to let you talk for a bit. So like I said, kind of the, the background of the book, as I read through those letters, I just became really enamored with how much Bezos talked about how he did it. You know, and shareholder letters typically are either really boring or all they do is, you know, tout the business. And, and Bezos's were different. And I would say I liken them to Warren Buffett's. You know, people wait yeah. for those letters to come out. And I think that same thing will happen and is happening with uh, Jeff Bezos and, and Amazon. And my first kind of iteration, I actually did an executive summary of each. At the time, I think there were 17 letters. I did an executive summary, one page, kind of highlighting what's in the letter, some key quotes, some takeaways, and created a PDF. And I was going to give it away as part of my consulting practice as a lead gen. Right here, download these principles that can help your business grow. Uh, give me your name and email address, etc. Again, fortunately, my wife is and has been in the publishing industry. I showed it to her. She showed it to the founder of the publishing firm that I she works for, and I published my book. And they both said almost immediately, "This is a book. This is not a PDF." And then I kind of went that, "Oh, are you crazy? I can't write a book." And so, and and then what we did is. We came up with these 14 principles that we literally can trace throughout the letter. So the book talks about the very first 1997 letter that set up kind of the foundation for Amazon. And we found 
all of the principles that I had talked about and kind of extracted in that 97 letter. And then we did the same thing for the 2018 letter, which is the last letter that was available when the book was published. And so the threads that kind of went through, and I grouped, 14 is a lot, right? So trying to figure out how to make it easier to consume and understand. And so we broke those 14 into four different cycles, test, build, accelerate, and scale. And I believe every business is going through those four cycles almost all the time, right? They're either testing a new idea, new product, new service, figuring out if it works, and then they're building on that idea, and then they're accelerating their growth, and then they get start getting bigger. So how do you scale? Again, it could be even large businesses who have multiple divisions could be going through different parts of the cycle at, at any one time. So four cycles, 14 principles, as I've talked with people, there are certain principles that seem to resonate. Mm -hmm. So kind of back to your questions earlier about risk-taking, the very first principle in the test cycle is encourage successful failure. And again, you don't normally see success and failure used side by side. And I think that's where Jeff Bezos you know, really does shine because he created a culture and an environment that employees weren't afraid of experimenting with new ideas. And you literally still see that today. Um, and, and again, the news now is they're scaling back and we can talk about all of that. But, but even today, they continue to experiment. And the difference is he knew, I think intuitively, that you have to experiment to improve. Actually, a lot of the business noise, I, I would call it, we hear around businesses need to innovate, I actually think is out of order. Mm. Yes, they do need to innovate, but they have to experiment first in order to invent something new that their customers actually want, and then they can innovate. And, and Amazon's done all of those. Experiment means you're going to fail. Mm -hmm. There is no other option because if you're not going to fail, it's not an experiment. And the whole yes. reason you do an experiment is you don't know. And then mm -hmm. how do you build on that? And then how do you invent on behalf of the customer, you know, et cetera. So, and I, I'm really convinced that people mm -hmm. aren't afraid of failure, but they're actually afraid of the consequences of failure. Mm. And so as a business owner, if you can build that culture where failure is okay, and maybe even celebrated. And I always want to be careful here because what I'm not saying is let's throw it against the wall and see what happens. Amazon's very mm -hmm. intentional about their experiments. They're, it's not willy nilly. It's not do whatever you want. It's not, it's, it's looking at how do I protect the failure that it doesn't kill me and how do I learn from those failures so I can repeat the experiment or do something different as we move forward? And so, I, you know, I think that's a that's a core. And again, I think a core idea that businesses can embrace. So that's in the test cycle. In the build cycle, the first principle there is called obsess over customers. And if you know anything about Amazon, they really do. And they, they started from the very beginning, that 1997 letter. Bezos said, we will obsess over customers. Mm. And I th that has always struck me because we hear a lot about customers and businesses talking about customers. And they know they need to take care of customers. But it's talked about in the customer journey or customer focus, not obsession. Obsession mm. actually has some negative to it, doesn't it? 
Yes. You're obsessed over something. You're over the top. Well, can you be over the top when it comes to customers? And their, I would say, mission statement Mm -hmm. is Amazon will become the most customer-centric company in the world. And and again, you continue to, to see that piece of it. In the Accelerate cycle, there are four, and I I always hesitate to say one of my favorites because they're 14. It's like asking my grandchildren, you know, which of my seven grandchildren I love best, right? That's just not there. But you love them all the same, but you love them differently. Yes. You love them the same amount. And I think part of what's important here is these 14 principles stand on their own and they interact with one another at the same mm-hmm. time. So generate high velocity decisions mm, like That's that one. in the accelerate. And Bezos talks about that quite a bit in his letters. And what he says is there are two kinds of business decisions. He calls them type one and type two. Not very original, but that's what he says. Type one decisions are big, bet the farm hard to change once you make that decision. He said those decisions should be made slowly, carefully, with as much data as you can get. He said type two decisions, however, are less consequential, meaning you can decide and be wrong and you're not killing the business. And and what he says is those decisions should be made by employees who are capable of making that decision. And they should be made with at most 70% of the information you wish you had. Because a type two decision, once it's made, you can change it. He calls it, once I walk through that door and I look around, I can walk back without Mm -hmm. significant consequences. And so you can pivot, you can change direction, you can, you know, those kinds of things. So, and part of what happens as a business grows Mm -hmm. is they add bureaucracy. Right. So now I have to get approval of my supervisor and the supervisor has to get approval of the manager and the manager has to get approval of the regional director. And the right. You kind of go up and he says all that does is slow down growth because it's slowing down decision making. Mm -hmm. So, again, another key component to moving fast enough without betting the farm. I, I always like to include this one and it's actually principle number 14. It's called believe it's always day one. Now, this is a phrase Bezos has used in every single letter that he has written to end the letter. Usually the last paragraph has some version of it remains day one. It's still day one. And even in the 2019 letter, kind of the pandemic letter, I call it, he says, even with all of the, I can't think of the exact word he uses to quote it, but the trouble we've had, it remains day one. So here's this idea of day one, which is as an entrepreneur, that first day you open business, you still have that same excitement five years later. And you build that into the culture. So Bezos was at an all-hands meeting, which they did regularly, and had gone through kind of an update of where the company is and what they're doing. And, and the last part of that meeting is opened up to questions from employees who have pre-submitted questions. So he had, a, had some note cards in his hands, and he looks down and reads the next question. And the question is, Jeff, what is day two look like? Mm. And he kind of chuckled and he and he said, I think I know the answer to this question. And he said, day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by painful 
excruciating decline <laughs> followed by death. And that is why it's always day one. Love and it. so when you think back to those companies that were once very successful or no longer here, he actually goes on and he talks about in the 2016 letter, he talks about it could take 20 years for that process mm -hmm. to fully play out. And we see lots of companies that once were hugely successful and are gone. But in that shareholder letter, he tells that same story and he goes on to say, but I'm more interested in what things you can do to protect day one. Yeah. And he, he, he actually identified four items. The first item is obsess over customers. Mm -hmm. So again, that's part of that build cycle. The second item is a skeptical view of proxies. Now that takes a little bit of explanation. So a proxy is kind of a stand-in. And the way he's using it there, a proxy is a process or procedure that businesses need, but mm -hmm. when it moves from serving the customer to serving the business, that becomes a problem, mm -hmm. right? How many times have you heard a customer service person say, oh, that's not our procedure, or I don't have authority, or I can't do you know, this or, or that? So that's proxy. So skeptical view of proxies. Third is eager adoption of external trends. And I feel like so many businesses today are scared of new stuff that's coming as opposed to eagerly looking into it. And it kind of goes back to experimenting. How could this help our business? How could it hurt it, et cetera? And then the fourth we already talked about is high velocity decisions. So making sure you're moving fast enough to keep the agility and that day one mindset mm -hmm. that I think he feels is so important. Wow, you have just unpacked this huge steak that is going to take a while to chew on. It, it is. And I, and, I, and I still, maybe you can tell, I still get excited mm -hmm. about this because I just, you know, and basis is not perfect. I mean, no, no. question about that. Uh, and I'm not as judge and jury. And there is so much I think we can learn from how he has structured Amazon and how he thinks about business and growth, et cetera. So that's why I get excited about talking about some of these uh, topics. This is one of those episodes I think we could have, you know, easily have stretched into two or three and definitely going to have you back, Steve, because we're going to want to explore some of these in more detail. Well, and, and we talked about four of the 14 principles, right? And so- yeah. There are others there that I think are maybe as impactful or more impactful, but these are the ones that, like I said, seem to resonate with people or at least kind of captures their imagination about, oh, I wonder how my business could do that or, you know, starts prompting some of those thoughts and conversations. Wow. Well, I want to talk about your book because we've okay. got about five minutes left. So I want to make sure we get to your book. It's uh, obviously available on Amazon. <laughs> and as I mentioned earlier, it's been now will be translated into 19 different languages. That's really fun for me. And, and it's so unexpected. I mean, I had no idea that any of this would happen. And, you know, kind of the whole topic here is there is, I won't say there are few things that are better uh, as a person, as a business owner, as someone who has a message you want to get out than a book. And a book can really set you apart in terms of, and I hate the word thought leadership, but 
having ideas that you think can help others. And so that's been very grateful to me. So people could go to the website is thebezosletters.com. There's lots of information there. One of the things we built in to the book is at the end of every chapter, there are some questions for thought or discussion. You can use that internally as a prompt. I've had many business owners say, I bought a book for everyone in my department or my company. And using that as kind of a prompt to talk about how these principles could actually be applied. And part of what's really interesting to me too, is it's not just businesses. I've had nonprofits talk to me about how it's helped them think differently about raising money and serving you know, their cause that's uh, important to them. I'm going to just stop you there because there's always one question we ask every author. So I want to make sure we get to it before we end today's show. And the question is this, and I suspect your answer will be a little bit different because with your wife working in a publishing company, you had lots of help and support. What was the good and the bad and the ugly of publishing that book? So I'm going to probably do it in reverse order. I think the ugly slash bad was the writing process. I was responsible for writing the first draft and gave it to my wife, Karen, and uh, she looked at it. And a couple of days later, she I came home and she said, uh, we need to talk. Well, you know what? As a husband, that's typically not a good phrase you want to hear. She looked at me and she said, this is really boring. My first draft was in chronological order, 97, 98, 99, right? And she said, nobody cares what year he said what. Exactly. Can you come up with principles? And I I mean, I was crestfallen, right? I mean, I'd spent hours and sweat, you know, you know, just writing and trying to get stories and trying to put things together. I said, I don't, uh, frankly, I don't know if I can. And I said, I will try because I trust her. That's how we got through this together. If she said it's boring, I didn't want to publish it. And so literally probably five or six days later, I came back. I think I had an initial list of eight, worked on that and made it 14. So that was really hard part of the process. The good is the results. You know, it's just astounding still to me that it's resonated with people so well. I got literally over Christmas out of the blue an email from somebody in Poland whose wife had given him the book as a present and just thanked me for writing it. That's good. You know, what can I say? (laughs) That's good. Well, thank you so much, Steve. If if people have heard you and they want to find out more about the book, but also how to connect with you, because that's sometimes people just like, Steve, I've got this one question. If you could answer this one question for me, how can people connect with you? So I would say two ways. One is my email address is steve at thebezosletters.com. The second is I'm very active on LinkedIn. Uh, You kind of mentioned that in the introduction. So uh, if you're on LinkedIn, uh, you probably can find me relatively easy, Steve Anderson or the Bezos Letters, and send me a connection request. Let me know you heard me on Kim's podcast, and I'd love to connect with you, and we can correspond there also. Awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. This has been Steve Anderson and Kim Thompson-Pinder on the Author to Authority podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you on the very next episode. Bye now. You've been listening to the Author to Authority podcast. 
the extraordinary word ninja, Kim Thompson Pinder, has helped over 200 entrepreneurs, professionals, speakers, and coaches write and publish their books that have become incredible marketing tools for their business. And many of those have gone on to become Amazon best-selling authors and have used their books to land high-level clients and get on big stages. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit the website at www.author2authoritypodcast.com. See you next time.